Hey, Keith, did you hear? They're developing yet another Star Trek spinoff. This time, it's going to be starring Michelle Yeoh. Do you think they're actually going to call it Crouching Tiger, Hidden Captain? I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, the show or the joke? Yeah. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Servato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Well, maybe it's one of those other shows, like Outer Limits. Confuse the Twilight Zone with the Outer Limits? Do you even know me? Geek number 131. I'm Keith Conrad, joined as always by Elliot Serrano. And Elliot, we're basically drowned in Star Trek news this week. Oh, yes, spinoffs galore. We, of course, had the um, news of the Patrick Stewart spinoff. We know about uh, the animated the animated feature. We know about the comedic feature. And now we're going to have... Um, one where they bring back Michelle Yeoh's character, and she's going to be uh, doing some covert ops in the Star Trek universe. That should be, you know, some black ops, as they say. Maybe some wet work. Who yeah, knows? I, I could see that. I wonder if, um, you know, I, and I, I, I just uh, thought of this, actually. Um, they did one of the short treks that CBS All Access did, you know, leading up to the, the new season was uh, Rain Wilson as uh, Harry Mudd, and I wonder if the more comedic series will actually just be that. He'll, he'll get his own spinoff show. I'm wondering, maybe, or, or although the Harry Mudd character got really dark there in that one episode. Remember when he took over Discovery, and he just wanted to take it over, and he just kept blowing it up? Yeah, you know? and, and uh, kept, uh, kept finding new and interesting ways to kill Lorca. <laughs> you know, ouch. So, uh, if I'd be like, yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's do a comedy with this dude now. We'll find the lovable side of Harry Mudd, you know. <laughs> hey, people love antiheroes. So, um, yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Michelle Yeoh doing the, the I, I'm assuming it's her uh, mirror universe persona. Um, who's going to be um, it, it was the the it's section thirty one? What's the uh, the black ops? Yes, the it black is. ops. Yeah, the yeah. black ops team in Star Trek, which is not it's not new, and we know we've known about them before. It's not like they're making up this new um, this new group just for the show. Um, it's a, they've even done. There's been some comics featuring. Uh, that that uh, covert ops group, uh, so just you know, making a television series should be should be fun. Yeah, and a different side of Starfleet than we've seen before. You know, when that when Section Thirty One has uh, has popped up, they've never really been the good guys. You know, like they're usually kind of up to no good. Well, you know, again, when you're looking at them through the prism of an idealistic. Uh, idealistic show like Star Trek usually is. Uh, you're going to have, of course, you know, the folks who kind of do the dirty work aren't necessarily looked at. Yeah, in a in in a maybe a charitable way. 
I'm pretty sure, though, that they're going to figure out a way to do that uh, for this new series. You know, it's the whole, um, you know, you don't you can't make an omelet without cracking a few eggs. And when it comes to civilization, let's be honest, um, a lot of bad stuff occurs before you, you know, actually build it up. Well, I mean, even, you know, let's let's uh, accept the fact that, you know, within the Federation, life's pretty good. Um, uh, you know, we've debated uh, about the, uh, you know, how society can actually function, uh, because they'd never actually go into any detail about how anything works. It's just, oh yeah, there's no money anymore. Um, I I think we, we did a whole episode on that actually, but, um, uh, within the Federation, life is pretty good, but you, you got to remember that even so they've got the Klingons that they're never friendly with until basically, you know, the next generation era. And they've got the Romulans that they're kind of in this separate Cold War, you know, with. So it's not like you can say, well, this is a totally utopian society because they do have uh, have bad people out there to worry about. Yeah. And I know with the original conceit of Star Trek, it was supposed to be that human beings have sorted out all their stuff, mm-hmm. right? You know, as humans, everything's hunky-dory. Uh, we've reached this, u- quote-unquote, utopia. Um, so that's why you had to introduce all these aliens, because yeah, the aliens... Because yeah. the aliens are bringing their, their criminals, their rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. <laughs> Look, they're, when it comes to the Klingons, they're good people on both sides. That's true. That's right. true. Uh, so, yeah. You, and although I would say that I really appreciated how um, they would take jabs at that very concept in, in the original series movies. Remember when, um, when a Kirk, I want to say it was in... Um, was it in Undiscovered Country? Not Undiscovered well, Country. Well, the Undiscovered Country was the one that was basically sort of the analog for the end of the Cold War. End of the Cold War. But uh, but uh, when Kirk says to um, to Spock, you know, down deep inside, all of us are human. And then Spock responds, you know, I find that offensive. <laughs> you know, like to like like it's racist, you know. <laughs> And and so there is this bit where we do get uh, what what is the term for when we think humans are better than everyone? We're probably going to have to come up with that term eventually. Uh, she she said, uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, the 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 chancellor's uh, daughter in uh, Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country calls uh, calls uh, the Federation a Homo Sapiens only club. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, you can like not speciesist, but yeah. you know, stuff like that, where where we kind of think we're so great, everyone should be like us. Blah blah blah. You think you're so great because you've got lungs. <laughs> well, then we can say it. We can declare it with our with our horks and our guffaws that we <laughs> develop that we developed over millions of, or I'm sorry, hundreds of thousands of years of developing language and baloney 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 but um yeah so back to the original point uh with uh, section 31 you know it, that should be kind of pretty uh intriguing considering it also takes place before the original series um it's i'm assuming taking place during the discovery timeline which now i mean i i used to think that discovery took place like four to five years before 
the uh, the the classic trip. No, 10. Yes, it's 10 years before. Um, so that's the other thing about like Spock. We meeting Spock 10 years before we know him in the classic series. And they're re- they're going to be exploring the relationship that he and um, Pike had. Yeah, I, so, I, I know, you know that, uh, um, you know, I'm not even sure where we started, uh, you know, in the in the reboot of Star Trek. But I think that. Now that uh, and we'll get into this one in a second. Now that uh, now that the Kelvin timeline is uh, kaput and probably uh, never going to be revisited, I, I think you could basically look at it and say that uh, you know the end of Star Trek Beyond is probably about the time you catch up to them in the original series. Like every everybody's where they're supposed to be for the original series as far as characters. Yeah, although I'm not exactly sure that the Kelvin timeline is kaput, you know, never say never. But yeah, right now, and we'll, we can get into it, right now it does look like they were kind of like, you know, putting that on the shelf for a while. Yeah, and uh, so you mentioned the animated series. I don't think that we actually know anything about that yet, other than the fact that it's going to happen and uh, it's kind of aimed a little bit younger. Um, which is good, I think. Uh, I think we both agree on that one. Well, Star Wars had what Clone Wars, um, uh, Rebels, as as well as a new Star Star Wars Resistance, which is all aimed towards you know younger viewers. And and yeah, you're right. I don't we I don't see anything wrong with that. If anything, I'm surprised it's taken them this long to get it. Well, in fairness, you know they've only just now gotten to the point where they're cranking out a TV series like Nobody's Business. It, you know they were they were kind of on the shelf for a while. Right, right. And and Discovery, you know, I know there I know some folks who are adamantly opposed to the show and my um, my good friend and colleague John Suntress hates Discovery. <laughs> he hates the show. To him it is anathema to all that he believes as Star Trek. And I'm like, "Oh, I I I really like uh, Discovery." My uh, my my cousins who uh, you know, they're they're hugely into sci-fi. And, uh, you know, Star Trek especially, they didn't even make it through the first episode. And, and even though I told them, hey, you know, after the second half of that is, is pretty good, they were like, nah, we don't, we don't like it. No. See, and, and I understand there is a bit of resistance to it because it is quite different um, than what people are. Um, and, and we hold Star Trek The Next Generation in the highest regard. Uh, but I just got through like watching some of the some of my more favorite episodes of Next Gen, mm-hmm. and I'm like, ooh, oh, yeah, there oh were some not so good ones. Yeah, but also like the special effects and and, and the like, and like ooh, and that when you consider that the current effects on the Orville do the Next Gen type effects better than Next Gen, you know. I mean, it has this. You look at the or you know Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. It's it looks like a show that could be in the next gen universe, mm-hmm. but they they actually have figured out ways. They they mimic the look, the style, the feel of the of next generation, but actually make it feel more contemporary than um than the classic next gen episodes are. Mind you, you you had other shows after Next Generation like um, Voyager that took things further and um enterprise and eh, not so much enterprise was kind of like stuck in there 
somewhere. Uh, yeah, it was sort of an awkward yeah. middle ground, much like, you know, the, the series in general was kind of an awkward middle ground. Yeah, which is kind of sad, you know, that things happened to them the way they did. Um, so, you know, again, I can see, though, people kind of like going, Discovery is not my kind of trek. Well, I'm like, well, guys, it's, it's you're going to have to, you know, hey, I have learned to deal with The Last Jedi, everybody. Okay, <laughs> I've accepted it and I'm moving on. Although me constantly bringing it up every time I get a chance to, I don't know, really qualifies as moving on. But, <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know, I, I don't I, think it I'm does, so Elliot. I, th- I think that means you're no? still kind of stuck on it. No, but um, yeah, but I, I, what I am really looking forward to though is the the Picard series. Um, I, the more they talk about that particular series, they, um, the more intrigued I am and how um, even Picard, I'm sorry, Picard, um, jo- uh, Patrick Stewart went to the writers. Like I guess there was this whole bit where the writer's room got together and they first had to sell him on the idea. And he said, um, you know. That's you know we got to take this in a new direction, and then the the writers went to him, and they they I guess they wowed him with the ideas they came up with, but then Patrick Stewart returned and said, you know what, let's take it even further, let's go even further. He like challenged them to really take it further. I'm like, although I will say, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing his um his, what what he said to the writers to so the effect was now we have to make this show where it's like what people knew before but completely different <laughs> yeah i mean i i think um you know the, the the character has to be recognizable and you know the world isn't going to change that much you know so uh you know what are the uh uh alex kurtzman said that you know he, he's really been affected by the uh by the end of the Romulan Empire, which I think uh, some people have interpreted as meaning that it's it's the Kelvin timeline. And some people have, uh, you know, I, I looked at it and said that, you know, the Romulan Empire was probably ending uh, in Nemesis because, you know, they ended up, um, you know, entering into peace talks and everything with the Federation at the end. Uh, you know, that to me is, you know, probably more in line with what they meant as opposed to the Kelvin timeline. But actually, it really doesn't matter because the Kelvin timeline wouldn't affect everything moving forward. Right. I mean, uh, well, when you think about the Kelvin timeline, though, I mean, it's uh, the Kelvin timeline is what I call the Marty McFly alternate timeline. I I thought that's what we were looking at. Well, yes, we are. And oh, and uh, as an aside, you notice how they, they did you hear the news? They want to build a much larger Hadron Collider. Yeah, and, that's going to end well. Yeah. So uh, hopefully someone can use that and kind of reset the timeline. Maybe we need Barry Allen to run around it like, you know. Oh, I like that. Chan- idea. Channeling yeah. the speed force. <laughs> but no, it, I would say it will be interesting yeah, to see how they, they're going to reconcile some things. I can see Kurtzman like fudge, you know, futzing with people, you know, kind of poking at them and making it seem like it could be an alternate timeline that we're in, you know. 
Because um, another thing, too, he insists, Kerfman insists, that by the end of the second season of Discovery, the show will, all, will be all synced up with classic Trek canon. To which uh, Star Trek writer Robert Burnett replied on Twitter, ha 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 and it went on for a while so <laughs> you know there are some folks who are big in the trek who've been involved in the creative side who so, don't ne- don't necessarily care for what kirsman is doing either but so so by the end um the the holographic uh you know communicators that they use will all be broken for some reason and uh, female crew members will be wearing mini skirts again. That's that's where I, I sense that he what he means. Yeah, you're, all you're going to need is Pike to say, "I hate those holographic projectors. I won't have them on my ship." And then and then do a bit where you know he declares it's going to be '60s mini skirt day, and then no and no one gets the memo that they've gone back. Boom. Oh, that, that could Look be, that. or it could be like a running gag, like uh, um, you know, the Big Bang Theory had the elevator that was always broken. Well, it turns out that just the entire time that we've been uh, experiencing Star Trek, those holographic communicators have been broken. Yeah, I just need a throw a throwaway line. Uh, have we fixed them yet? No, we're working on it. All right. <laughs> and then, and then the you know season five ends, and they're like, you know, don't even don't worry about it. It's a new captain taking over. It's going to be his problem. They <laughs> 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 go from there. And, and speaking of new captains, and again, the, the, it, I think the whole thing with the Star Trek films and the Kelvin timeline just comes down to Chris Pine now just saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. It just kind of um, gets me that it took him three movies for him to finally become what I thought was a good, a convincing Kirk, you know, giving a consistent performance. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, you know, it, he's done doing it. And I, I don't know how I'm going to handle, I mean, I am going to be going on my third Spock, right? Um, yeah, at least, yeah, yeah, third Spock, yeah. So am I going to be asked to go on a third Kirk, which is which was tough for me, because, again, the, the original Kirk, you know, the William Shatner, Captain Kirk. I mean, if I had a pick of any captain, he'd be the one, you know, yeah. I'll take him, you know, I'll take him seven days a week, twice, on, twice on Sunday. Um, and, and that's just how enamored I was, not only with the character as he was written and portrayed. I mean, as you know, William Shatner played him. You know, well, um, for, for those who uh, haven't been paying attention, including shame on you, the the previous episode where we mentioned what was going on with the uh, with the uh, the films. Uh, so basically, here's what happened. They were all signed that like the whole cast was signed for three movies after uh, Star Trek uh, Into Darkness did really well financially. They decided to extend uh, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto for a fourth movie. And then they figured out they would uh, they would uh, sign everybody else later. So then what happened was Star Trek Beyond didn't do so well financially. 
And Ironically, Kirk- it being the best of the three, if right, you ask right. me. Right, yeah. Well, yeah. I think mostly because Star Trek Into Darkness. And I was kind of lukewarm on Star Trek Into Darkness at the time, if you uh, if you might remember. I, I've, uh, I've turned on that. It's uh, much like I have now decided that the Temple of Doom is okay. Um, I have decided that I, I really dislike Star Trek Into Darkness. But anyway, I digress. Uh, that one uh, was so poorly received by probably mostly Star Trek fans. And I think I, I can't imagine that movie making any sense to anybody who's not a Star Trek fan anyway, that when uh, Star Trek Beyond came out, it, it, it didn't do quite as well. And uh, so, you know, Paramount went back to Chris Pine and uh, Chris Hemsworth just happened to be involved in this as well. Uh, you know, cause at the beginning he was actually signed for a second movie, uh, but that was before he became a star. So now you've got Chris Pine, who's signed to this extension, and Paramount comes to him and says, you know what, we, we just can't pay you that much money, so we want to pay you, uh, uh, you know, a, l- a little bit less. And he goes, hell no, I'm, I'm working all the time. Why am I going to take less money? Chris Hemsworth, he's basically told the same thing. Hey, we really want to make this movie, but, you know, we can't pay you as much. And he's like, hey, I'm Thor. I, I'm, I'm not taking less money, which is perfectly understandable from both of their points of view. And so, you know, now they're kind of kind of out of luck right now. As are Trek fans, right? If you at least you were a fan of of the series, which I think finally did get its bearings by Star Trek Beyond. But eh, what are you going to do? Well, and, and if this is it, you know, like I said, of those three movies, two of the three were actually pretty good. Uh, and sort of by the end, you could. You could convincingly say, okay, that was when the characters sort of became the characters that we knew. And, uh, and you know, just look at it as three, two and a half uh, decent movies and, and just call it a day. Wouldn't it be something if they decided to introduce a new Kirk in Discovery and then have that actor play him in another, Kel- you know, like another Kelvin Universe film? Well, I don't think that can happen unless they work out. A, CBS works out a deal with Paramount, and that doesn't seem likely, right? Because I mean, yeah, that's, that, that's the that's the whole hiccup. That's true. Yeah, this Paramount has the film rights. CBS has the television rights, and neither of the two shall meet. Which, which, by the way, if I could go back in time and change one thing, uh, forget about uh, preventing the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, the Kennedy assassination, uh, killing Hitler as a baby. That's the one thing I change. Killing Hitler as a baby, or <laughs> no? The, the one thing I would change is uh, is the whole Star Trek TV and movie rights chasm. You realize that Hitler was responsible for that. Oh, he was okay. Well, then kill two birds with one stone, <laughs> or two dictators. Yeah, and you know, and you know, and you know what else you could do. That's really easy, and you don't need a time machine. What's that? Getting your uh, headphones and accessories from Tweaked Audio. Oh, no, you don't need a time machine at all. You just need a computer. A computer, and when you go to tweakedaudio.com, you're going to discover accessories with uh, key features like eight colors and styles. Uh, You're going to have mic'd and non-mic'd versions, which makes, makes them great for things like just 
answering the telephone, co-op gaming, um, talking smack to your to your homies. <laughs> They're designed to sound great for music and talk. They have a noise reducing design, a lifetime warranty, and if you use a discount code GCG at checkout, you'll get 33% off and free worldwide shipping. The code is not case sensitive, so go to tweakedaudio.com, find that pair of headphones that you really like, enter the code GCG, and you're going to get 33% knocked off what they're already reasonably, reasonably priced accessories. And so if you do that, make sure you tell them that Geek Counter Geek sent you. And you'll want to uh, check out all of the great... Uh Podcasts on the Radio Misfits podcast network, including uh, Caffeinated Comics, um, which uh, which you've been on uh, many times. I have not been invited, but uh, you know you've been on uh, a couple times. Uh, Minutia Men, and uh, it, interesting thing about Minutia Men, they're going to have Anthony Scaramucci on in a week or two. Get out! Yeah, I, I, they, they they've been they've been killing it lately with uh, with some uh, some really interesting guests. I'm not sure how Anthony Scaramucci uh, did it. I assume the interview is only going to last like 11 minutes because, you know, he lasted 11 days in, in the White House. What we call one Scaramucci. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the, yeah. the time scale now. One Scaramucci. And uh, and also you'll want to uh, listen to all of the Radio Misfits podcasts on uh, Spotify, including Geek Counter Geek. You can listen to it on uh, on Spotify now and uh, definitely, uh, you know like subscribe do whatever you got to do on uh on apple podcasts leave us a, a nice uh, a nice review or a not so nice review um you know we'd rather it be positive but you know if we offended you in some way we'd kind of like to know that too we and we'd like to do it again <laughs> <laughs> well, I, hey when are we going to get music on this podcast like uh, the dishing bitches have because if you listen to the dishing bitches they are they have music are we ever going to get music? Um, all I need to find is some uh, some geeky musician who's willing to give it to us for free, and uh, and I'm I, I'm all for it. Wow, the dishy bitches have like a budget for music, or to uh, they probably just get it for free because who says no to them? Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's about it. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I. I Elliot, as we were uh, talking during the week, uh, you know, getting ready for this uh, this episode, uh, you brought up a, a question that, uh, or, or a potential topic that, uh, it really haunted me my entire childhood, and that is, is Indiana Jones actually an archaeologist or not? <laughs> well, you see, I mean, this is something that, of course. Um, it's kind of a hot topic among Indiana Jones fans. Uh, I will say this kind of like Indiana Jones fans feel like the forgotten stepchild when it comes to all the, um, the, 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 the fandom, the Lucasfilm fandom, because Star Wars is like the, the favorite child. Yeah. Everyone. Always talks about Star Wars. Loves Star Wars. People always talk about how great Star Wars is. All the discussions about Star Wars, Star Wars movies, TV shows, merchandising, stuff like that. You don't get any of that 
for Indiana Jones, even though there have been four Indiana Jones movies. And if you ask me, I, I believe that the quality of the Indiana Jones movies across the board exceed those of, let's say, you know, at least three of, no, I'm saying I'll give you four out of the currently uh, seven, eight Star Wars films that, that have been made so far. Okay, let's see. Oh, no. I'm And also, remember, you know, they had a TV series, too. And, and that TV series, that holds up. It's, it's, it's still pretty good. Yeah. The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which um, David Kep was very clever in in incorporating it into Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where um, Har- um, Harrison Ford Indy refers to some of the adventures from the show, you know, when he's talking to Mutt. So I, I've always... Which, I'm by huge- the way, is the only complimentary thing anyone has said about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, you know I am a stan for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, okay? <laughs> you know, we've talked about it. I, mean, I know so many people like get all over those that film because they say, oh, it's too hokey, too cheesy, this, that, and the other. And I say, show me a single element in, in, Crystal, in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that you take issue with, and I will show you the exact same thing happening in one of the three previous movies. You know, Ooh, gauntlet I, has been it, thrown down. Yeah, boom! I will show wait, it to you. Wait, wait, wait! Monkeys swinging from trees on vines. Okay, that's the one thing, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of ludicrous. But I always say that is kind of the the redemption of the monkey from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Because remember, in that. Raiders of the Lost Ark, the monkey was kind of you had the, the little evil Nazi monkey. Yeah, All right. and, and now the uh, the in this one you had the monkeys with the pompadours, the pompadours, and they they help Indy. They don't betray Indy. They help him. So you know, it's kind of like that 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 di, di, that uh, duality there. You know, Indiana Jones and the redemption of the monkeys, and the redemption of the pompadoured monkey. Yes. So, <laughs> um, but beyond that, you know, there are improbable jumps and leaps. There were crazy stunts that would have, you know, no ways Indy would have been able to survive that. I mean, um, Temple of Dune alone has has the mine car jumping the track, you know. So there are all these crazy things that happen in the Indiana Jones films. Yes, I concede they're ridiculous. But also remember that this is, you know, these are homages to this, the, the serial thrillers of the 1930s and a lot of crazy stuff happened in those there too except now we have a budget you and, know? and actually when you think about it that way um, so you know you think of the original three Indiana Jones as being like an homage to um, you know um, you know the, these these serials. And then you think about the fact that the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull takes place in 1957. It's actually like you could think of it as being instead actually an homage to, you know, uh, 50s sci-fi B movies. Exactly. And it kind of fits there. Right. That's what George Lucas wanted. Um, And Steven Spielberg resisted and resisted and resisted. But, you know, know, when it's it's between Lucas, you know, Spielberg is very good. He understands what the collaboration with Lucas is like, and he always defers to his friend. And that's why he did it, which is why I'm I'm, it's going to be very interesting to see Indiana Jones five 
and seeing an Indiana Jones film that's produced without Lucas's involvement. You know, so that that should be interesting. But now, the, the, back to the issue now, if I'm going to argue whether the Indiana Jones films are, are cheesy or goofy or not, I can't do that. I, I can't argue against that because that's what they are. Um, if you're going to say Indiana Jones is not an archaeologist, all right, all right. We, 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 can, we can kind of have a discussion there. But when Sue the T-Rex, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sue the T-Rex goes on Twitter and says that the mummy movie, the mummy is greater than, greater than, greater than, greater than, greater than, greater than, um, how many greater than symbols did Sue the T-Rex put on this tweet? A greater lot. than right any indiana jones movie all right now you have brought yeah i'm sorry this is this is why this is why her species went extinct and human beings ended up inheriting the earth yeah well uh, and again we're not sure if sue is male or female sue does go by their them so we'll i will i i got called out on calling sue her on Twitter, so I don't want to repeat oh, that yeah, mistake. Yeah, definitely, and I'm, I'm, I, and I'm helping you here, okay, my friend. I don't want you catching the same heat that I caught. Yeah, right? we, we don't need a Keith Two moment. <laughs> no, we don't need that. But saying that the mummy is better, and so I told, I, I went to Sue. I go, you got to, you, you got to be kidding me. Um, you know, come on, how, how can you say that the mummy is better than? Um, than the um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, or I mean, than any Indiana Jones movie, because then what what's going to happen is Sue, who um, whoever, uh, by the way, the folk, the the person who does the social media for Sue the T Rex at the Field Museum, is really a brilliant, brilliant person. They're really incredibly are. funny. Yeah, they're brilliant. They're funny as hell, um, and they're able to do. Um, they're able to take things like science. And 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 discuss it and make it fun and entertaining. So I, this is this is I'm I'm just going to read um, a little bit of the exchange I had with Sue the T Rex on Twitter a few days ago um, when I told Sue I was going to dunk on them. Okay, because I was going <laughs> to dunk on them. Um, Sue responded, "So you endorse stolen artifacts using human remains as improvised weapons." And the nickname UG short round. <laughs> All right. So this was my response. Okay. Um, in in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the cross of Coronado, which Indy is trying to retrieve in the in the beginning, was also stolen, but not by him. It was stolen by some other treasure hunters. Right. Mm-hmm. And Indy was just trying to retrieve it because it belongs in a museum. Belongs in a museum, so it wasn't like he was defiling some sacred um, um, burial or anything like that. Now, as far as using human remains as improvised weapons, I'm going to say this: if Indiana Jones needs to use my rib cage to fight off some Nazis, I'm happy to help. Right? <laughs> Go on, my friend. Vaya con Dios. You know, I'm glad to contribute. <laughs> All right? Um, but I'm, I'm going to concede on the nickname short round. Short round. That is kind of bad. That is. Well, you know. it, it is. 
if it's 2018 or 2019, you know, now, I'm not going to name, nickname anybody short round, but in the 30s, yeah, you know, let's, let's not act like that wouldn't have happened. Right, right. And again, it, it's back to that. It's back to the point that these films are homages to that. Because then uh, um, I'm trying to find the tweet. I'm scrolling here. But, you know, which, it's, which, by the way, while you're while you're scrolling, I should just say that I did nickname a coworker short round once, but he was Irish and very short. So I just, I just called him short round. Oh, yeah. oh yeesh. Boy. Was he round? A little bit. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so Sue, um, uh, in their rant about the Indiana Jones films, straight trash. And the people showing up to defend him are blindly clinging to nostalgia and outmoded ways of thinking. Ouch. That was that was I felt like that they were Sue was coming after me. Unrelated. There has never been a bad movie in the entire Jurassic Park franchise. All right. So. Oh, okay. That that's taking it a step too far. Yes. And then the, Sue concluded, I will not be reading replies to this tweet. Don't so Sue, Sue. Okay. And this is where I went. Sue, you need to stay in your lane. Okay. And I know it's difficult to drive with those little short arms that you've got. I mean, I'm pretty sure Sue has someone driving them around. You know, it's like a driving Miss Daisy oh, oh, situation. Yeah, de- definitely. But it's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the back of a flatbed, you know, and Sue's just like, you know, shooting zingers at people. I don't know how Sue is able to um, even tweet on a phone. Can those two hands reach together or does Sue do the bit where they like they use the thumb to swipe their text? I should ask Sue. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> that, now I'm interested in that. How would that work? But uh, again, um, to the effect, outdated thinking. Okay, yes. Uh, if you if you're gonna go to an Indiana Jones film to get actual science <laughs> and learn how to be an archaeologist, you know. Uh, that's like watching the Omen movies to get your theology, which ironically, <laughs> a lot of people do. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was, you ever notice how everyone believes that the Antichrist is actually going to have 666 on their forehead? And, you know, that the actual, the Bible itself says nothing about that. Um, uh, but because they did it in a movie, now everyone says that's the way it works. You even have like friggin' preachers talking about that. But again, I'm digressing again. But Indiana Jones, by um, by admission, is not so much an archaeologist as, yes, a treasure hunter. And Lucas and Spielberg have described him as a grave robber. And but you needed to have this veneer of being a college professor to kind of like make him give, have an idea for why he travels around the world and doing these things. But let's get back to the whole treasure hunting grave robbing thing. Cause everyone talks about he's robbing graves. Okay. Hit me. Give me all four of the current movies. Tell me which, what time, when does he rob a grave? Um, I don't, I, I believe you're right on that one. He doesn't, right? Yeah. 
Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's going for the for the uh, the golden uh, fertility idol of the Chachapoy, right? Right. And not a grave. Have, well, yeah, actually, not a grave. oh no, he he does rob a grave because theoretically it's Forstall's grave. Well, Forstall got killed on his way there. Yeah. So it wasn't meant to be his grave, yeah. but it t- it turned out to be his grave. Although, and I will I will concede this. When you look at all that incredible architecture and the fact that they were able to make a a booby trap that's activated by breaking light and it's something that was made before the advent of lasers. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's impressive. Yeah. The fact that he didn't like stay and take notes and go, ooh, this is really interesting. We can use this in research. Okay. <laughs> not, not the best scientist there. And then he essentially kind of like destroys the whole temple where the idol is because he sets off the booby trap and then the, the entrance to the, uh, to the the temple is pretty much sealed forever by the rolling boulder. Right. All right. So they're not the best scientist or archaeologist method there. Okay. I'll give you that. But after that, he's going after the lost ark. Why? Because the government hires him to get it and bring it back. All right. Yes, but only under the condition that the museum gets it uh, after they're done. Exactly. Indiana Jones of the Temple of Doom. What was he going after then? Fortune and Glory. Fortune and Glory, but retrieving the Sankara stones for the village that lost it. Even in the beginning, when he has the remains of Nurhachi, right? He was retrieving the remains of Nurhachi to give them back to his descendant, Lao Chi. Okay, yes, Lao Chi was a gangster. All right. But I think at this point, we have come to accept having people in authority dealing with gangsters and mobsters and so on. I mean, let's look at our current administration. Fine. Oh, he went there. Yeah, he went there. Uh, uh, Last Crusade, again, Cross of Coronado, retrieving after it was looted from a site. Okay. And the the uh, holy grail Indy didn't even want to go after the holy grail he he wanted to rescue his father he had absolutely no interest in the holy grail and the he only went through the 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 three challenges so he could fetch the holy grail to use it to heal his father who had been shot same goes for kingdom of the crystal skull He didn't go after the Crystal Skull. He didn't care about the Crystal Skull. He wanted to rescue his friend Oxley and also his, you know, ex-flame. Oxley and whoever happened to be with Oxley at the time. Who who would turn out to be Marion. And then that was the impetus. And, oh, if anything, he wasn't trying to steal the Crystal Skull. His mission was to return the skull to its appropriate place. That was what he was trying to do. So Return he's, I mean, I mean, there's no way around it. He's uh, hes an American hero. An American hero. So if you're going to take Indiana Jones a task that he doesn't set up quadrants and document everything that he finds in a site or that he doesn't take the best notes or that um, all he's doing is pretty much taking an artifact and stealing it from the local culture to you know to take it as like you know as an imperialist or a colonizer would you know he doesn't do any of that in the movies with the exception of the first one which i'll concede not the best thing yeah and and also the the racist asian sidekick yeah yeah that's a that's a bit of a problem 
You know, the, the funny thing is when I was uh, when I was a youngster, uh, you know, watching the Indiana Jones movies for the first time, uh, that did, you know, trigger a, an era of my life where I wanted to be an archaeologist and everyone was trying to tell me, hey, you know, it's not really like the Indiana Jones movies. You know, you're not constantly punching Nazis and, uh, and you know, single-handedly fighting off tanks and, and uh, things like that and, you know, running from giant boulders. You know, usually it's just you know, digging in the in the dirt with a toothpick and uh, setting up quadrants and, and reading things in the library. And I'm like, yeah, sign me up for that. And, and it's funny because that, that was something after the first two films um, that you would hear that a lot. Archaeologists talk about what a bad archaeologist um, Indiana Jones was. And in The Last Crusade, you can see that they kind of slightly address that when Indy's giving his speech in the beginning of the movie. And he talks about, you know, um, um, archaeology, you know, the majority of archaeology takes place in a library. He goes, there are no hidden uh, hidden cities. Um, you know, there is no buried treasure. And X never, ever marks the spot. And then, of course... 15 minutes later, Indy finds a giant X mm-hmm. <laughs> that marks the spot. So, so, but the, the movies, the movies themselves were, uh, they acknowledged that. And I think if anything, um, if you were inspired by the Indiana Jones films to become an archeologist, that's pretty awesome. Just like I think a lot of uh, folks were inspired to go into space travel by seeing Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, well, the funny thing is that um, I was inspired by Indiana Jones to maybe one day become an archaeologist, and I was inspired by Star Trek to, you know, maybe one day become an astronaut. Somehow, look at where I am. Where did, where did things go wrong? Well, Keith, if you want, um, you can still punch Nazis. It's just they're all working in right-wing radio. Proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gabatron.